I want to give you a heads up before I jump into it that today's a little bit different from what I would usually do. Um, it's, a, it's, it's more how I would describe like a teaching rather than preaching. And you might say, what's the difference? Aren't they the same? Kind of. It's just that today's a little bit more detailed. Um, it's a little bit more teachy. There's a lot more scripture. But as I pondered on this, as, an, as I was seeking God and preparing it, I really felt like uh, God encouraged me that you are the right people to preach this to. I love that our church is a church and a congregation and a people that love the word. You value it. You believe it's true. You believe that it actually brings life and that it is alive. And so really believing that God's going to speak to you today through this. So this morning, I want to talk about what I believe to be one of the biggest hurdles to a purposeful Christian life. See, if you've been in any modern church over the last decade, you've certainly heard about God's grace about the free gift of salvation that leads to the forgiveness of your sin. It's access to heaven. Revelation 21 says it's a place where God, where we're with God forever. There's no more weeping. There's no more pain. It's a place of complete uh, freedom and peace and joy. And I'm not certainly not here to backtrack on that, right? That, that still stands. It's absolutely true. It's one of the most gracious offerings that God extends to us. The problem is, um, I've observed a lot of people thinking that this is the extent to which God's grace and goodness go. Like he's the master ticket distributor, right? And once you've got your ticket to freedom, you're free. Who the sun sets free is free indeed, right? And yet for people that have their ticket to freedom, their access to heaven, there still seems to be a lot of heaviness, a lot of burden, a lot of hopelessness. And so today I want us to dive a little deeper into freedom. I want us to each leave with a personal revelation, a little bit more of an understanding of the destructive nature of sin. Because God wants each of us to be free from the power and the penalty of sin, but he also wants to empower us to cut sin out of our life. And so right at the start, it's important that we understand this concept of penal substitution. It's a theory of atonement, which means being right with God, which declares that Christ voluntarily submitted himself to the plan of the Father, and he took upon a punishment. He was penalized. That's where the word penal comes from. In place of us, that's the substitution, which satisfies the demands of justice so God can justly forgive us of our sins. Right? Said another way, God the Father had a wrath towards sin and divine forgiveness must satisfy divine justice, meaning God can't or won't forgive sin until a satisfaction has been offered for it. This is what we mean by penal substitution. Jesus took a punishment in place of us. And he's the only one who could have done it because he himself is God. There was a high price to pay for your sin. We couldn't pay it. Jesus could, so Jesus did. That means that your debt has been paid. He paid your bill. He shouted your lunch. He cleared your debt. Even though you are in debt, it means that you can walk free. The result is atonement. The result is right standing with God. It's a right standing that was impossible for you to achieve on your own. And it's only by his spilt blood on the cross that you and I can actually have access to intimacy with that God who made us. We call this justification. You are justified before God. Simply put, you're allowed to be there, right? You're allowed to be there not because of who you are, though, but because of who Jesus is in you. Now, one of my good friends, Adrian, uh, Adrian and Abby, they lead our online campus. He's come and preached here before. Um, he's, he's a great man. He's also like, if you didn't know this about Adrian, he's like real, like, I don't want to say high up. I don't want to inflate him too much. I hope he doesn't listen to the podcast, but he's like a, a social media guy with fashion and shoes. He's like a new balance ambassador, right? Like if there's a new balance guy in New Zealand, he's the guy. And he gets sent free shoes all the time. Problem is he's got little feet, size nine, so I can't steal any of them. Um, Anyway, one time, Adrian, a few years ago, he messaged me because 
uh, he invited me to go to this event at the Sterling Sports Store in Sylvia Park. It was the opening of a brand new store and he invited me to come along, but it was one of those like invite-only events, you know, for all those who were like social media influencers or influencers in the industry, of which I most certainly am not. We get to the door and uh, they just have to check off Adrian's name and I'm his plus one, right? Cute date, there I am, like <laughs> feeling honestly like a fish out of water. And uh, we, we eventually go in and I see all these people dressed in really whack clothes and you know, whatever, we're enjoying the event, they've got nibbles and they're showing like new shoes and new fashion items and I'm like, I'm just here for the food. Like, I don't really care about any of that. I just wanted to hang with the brother, he invited me so I went along. You know, without Adrian, I wasn't getting into that event. Without Adrian, they would have been like, who are you, what are you wearing, and what makes you think you can get into a place like this? I couldn't justify being there on my own. I'm not the sort of person they would let into an event like that. And yet, because I was with Adrian, because I was with him, I could justify my presence. Because of the access that he gave me, I was allowed to get in. This is kind of like the justification we get from Jesus' victory on the cross. We are deemed acceptable for entry. We become positionally perfect. Now that sounds amazing, but here's the problem. Are you ready? Well, I could get into the styly fashion event. Outside of it, I still wasn't styly. I was still just me. Access had been granted, but that didn't automatically change the way that I lived my life. I was still an unfashionable manta that somehow got access to some beautiful event. And so while I got the benefit of getting access to the event, I still don't have the access of being a styly person in public. We can be positionally perfect and yet experientially flawed. And this is where I want to talk about the second most important part of God's plan for us. The first part is the justification, to know Him. But the problem is we can set up camp in justification. You know, we sing it on a Sunday, and there's no problem with singing it, it's true. But we're like, I'm a child of God, forgiven, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. We're like, who the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm a co-heir with Christ. Heavenly inheritance shall be my portion. Once a slave, now a son. We sing all these things, shuck my eye, like it's amazing. It's all about me and how good, and I get access, and I'm chosen, and I'm the one, and all of that's true. And yet we make the mistake of thinking the forgiveness of sin and entry to heaven is the full package. That's not the end of our journey. That's just the start. Because the unexplainable grace of God allows us to be forgiven and justified. Oh, but now we have to become sanctified. It's like, wait, what? That's a weird word. Yep, it is. Justification is about right standing with God and our eternity, but sanctification is about you actually living a transformed life, being transformed in the way that your salvation should suggest that you should. Philippians 2 verse 12 to 13 says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. You know, there are a lot of saved but untransformed Christians. Sanctification is a really tricky concept because it's both an immediate thing and an ongoing process. Like we are sanctified and set apart by God at the point of our salvation. We're set apart, but we also must walk a journey of continual sanctification to become more like Jesus. You know, we have four key values here at Elam. They're not secret behind the scenes values. In fact, you'll see them font size 450 or something down the hallway wall as you go to the bathrooms. We want people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. 
But we can come to know God and get stuck there. Now, don't get me wrong. That is the most important part. But did you know that God wants you to find freedom, not only in eternity, but also in this life? He wants you to be transformed, to be made whole, to live righteously, and to ultimately become more like Jesus. And the victory of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection means that the penalty and power of sin has been defeated in your life. And yet it's our continued participation in sin that keeps us shackled, restricted, and held back from the freedom and purpose that God has for us in this life. See, some people carry the hope of heaven, but they're still paralyzed from purpose. And perhaps you feel that way today. You carry the hope of heaven. You know of your salvation. You know of the goodness and the grace of God. And yet, for whatever reason, you still feel paralyzed from purpose. Well, let's check, take a look at Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 14. Slightly longer passage of Scripture, but when I was trying to figure out where to cut it, the next sentence was always so good, I couldn't cut it. I just had to keep including it. Let's read it together from verse 1 to 14. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in his baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Everyone say may. You're allowed to. You have the option to. It's accessible to you. Now we may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Get this part. Do not let sin control the way that you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. It's amazing, isn't it? In that passage, we see two different types of freedom. Firstly, it's the freedom from the penalty of sin. That's the freedom from eternal separation from God. Only God can do that for you. He paid your debt so that you and I could walk free. But secondly, there's that freedom from the power of sin. That's freedom from the grip that sin can have on your life. Jesus' victory means the grip has been released. Now, the grip has been released, the power is gone, but the sin might still initially be there. It just no longer has power over you, and you no longer have to be its slave. You become free to instead be a slave of God and submit to Him. God defeats the power, but you and I still have to cut out our participation. And until we recognize that there are two freedoms and that we can have an influence and do something about one of them, our life will always feel heavier than it should, darker than it should, and more distant from God than it could. Because sin has a very destructive way of corrupting our life experience. You can't influence justification, but you can influence your sanctification. The victory on the cross sets you free from the penalty and the power of sin, 
but we also must be active in cutting sin out of our lives. You know, despite the victory on the cross, sin is still destructive. It just no longer comes with that eternal sentence that it once did. That dirty three-letter word, sin. We don't like to talk about it. Right? Like it, we, we, we know it's there. We know it's a thing. If you've ever read the Bible, you have certainly come across it. We don't like to talk about it because it feels heavy and it feels judgmental, kind of. But if we don't actually identify it and deal with it, it will bring decay to every area of your life. I remember when I was a teenager and my bedroom was like a sleep out out from the house. <laughs> that sounds like real sad. I was pumped. Like that was awesome for me to like not be under the same roof as my family. And so when it came to dinner time, I would take my dinner plate out to my room and I would eat dinner there just to have a bit of peace and quiet from my family, right? So I'd eat dinner. I remember this one time I was eating dinner and I didn't quite finish, but I was full and I didn't want to stand on my plate when I got out off my bed. So I put it on the ground and I just slid it under my bed a little bit. Well, I forgot about it, as teenagers do. I completely forgot about the plate that was there because, you know, I, I was on with my life. And about a week later, I started to notice a bit of a stench. I was like, this is gross. And it was filling the room and it was like invading my nostrils and my brain. And like I could, I could taste it almost again. Eventually, I found the plate under my bed and it was like gross and moldy and rotten. It had like, you know, like mold fuzz. You know the mold fuzz. And I found it there. I tell you that to say this, look, that's only acceptable as a teenager. I, I don't, in fact, no, it's not acceptable as a teenager. Just, but yeah, no, it's not. Don't make the same grave mistakes in life I did. Just like me sliding the plate under the bed, we can't just slide sin into an unseen place and pretend like it doesn't exist because it will rot and it will decay and eventually the stench of it catches up with us. Colossians 3, verse 5 to 9 says, So put to death, okay, that's action. That's an instruction for you and I. We have to put to death. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these signs, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. You know, in 1992, there was a survey by the Discipleship Journey that ranked the areas of greatest spiritual challenge for its readers. The greatest challenge of sin for those that read the journal, they did the study, and they found that these were the top nine sins or areas of spiritual challenge for those readers. Firstly, it was materialism. Secondly, pride. Then self-centeredness. Then laziness. Then tied for fifth and sixth was anger and bitterness and sexual lust. Then seventh was envy. Then gluttony. Then lying. The survey respondents noted that temptations were more potent when they neglected their time with God. 81% of the people said that. And when they were physically tired. 57%. Sin has a foothold when we are distant from God and overworked. But get this, resisting temptation was accomplished by prayer, 84%. People said, if, when I had a life of prayer, I could resist the temptation. Avoiding compromising situations, 76%. Bible study, 66%. And being accountable to someone, 52%. Those are staggering results. Like we could actually be quite effective in eliminating sin from our life by prayer, choosing to stay clear of compromising situations, Bible study, and having someone to be accountable to. 
In Matthew 5, verse 27, and we carried, covered this when we did our uh, Beatitude series, but let's go back to it. Jesus says, You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, and I love this, in the Bible there's a footnote that just in case you're wondering, it's your right eye. Even your good eye causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your strong hand, right hand, sorry to all the lefties. <laughs> if your right hand, if your hand, even your strong hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus appeals to us to be ruthless in the elimination of sin. Now, he uses a pretty emphasized illustration to communicate what he's saying, but he's clear that if something causes you to sin, we should be cutting it out of our life. That might be a show on TV, a podcast, a friendship, a device, a substance, a social media account, an incorrect belief and attitude. Because the last thing the enemy wants is for you to take this seriously. He wants to blind your eyes to the severity of sin in your life. He'll say, oh, it's no big deal. Everyone's doing it. God's going to forgive you anyway, right? He'll plant these little lies. He lies to keep you shackled in sin. God wants every believer to not only be justified, but also be sanctified. Not only forgiven, but also set free. Let's unpack, because this is such a battlefield area. Because I know as I'm sharing this, whether you realize it or not, I'm speaking to everyone. Every single person in the room has stuff that they know about or stuff that they don't, and perhaps we've just been blinded to it, but it exists in our life. There are lies the enemy will try and sow into our mind and heart. Firstly, to have you think that it's not a big deal, that it doesn't matter, and that you wouldn't address it. But God wants you to address it so that you can not only be forgiven, you could also be free. This is the first lie the enemy will try to sow into your mind and your heart. He'll say sin for a season is part of your journey. Sin for a season is part of your journey. You know, when I first became a Christian, there were some things I knew God wanted to eliminate from my life. Foul language, lapses in integrity. He wanted me to reorganize my priorities. But there were some things around money and relationships I just didn't want God to touch. Now, part of me knew eventually I would have to address them, but I didn't even want to entertain the idea for a really long time. I allowed the enemy to convince me that it was okay to live in sin as long as I addressed it at some point down the track. But sin is like that pebble in your shoe. Even when small, it affects every step of your journey along the way. Theologian Augustine, he said, there are three different stages of sin. He said, firstly, it's this, Lord, make me good, but not yet. That's where I was. Second stage is, Lord, make me good, but not entirely. There's some things I don't want you to touch. And thirdly, it's just, Lord, make me good. You drop the not yet and you drop the not entirely. And I don't want you to get the wrong idea here. God absolutely is gracious towards you in your journey. And some things take time. But allow the Word of God to be your non-negotiable guide on how to live a righteous life. Ask God to help you tackle these things and to cut sin out of your life. See, the problem with engaging in sin just for a season, you're like, I know I shouldn't, but it's just for now. I'll deal with it later. I'm just, I'm all about it. I'm not really trying to fight it. I'm just, I'm living in it now, but... But in the back of my mind, eventually I'll sort it out. The problem with living in sin just for a season is that it becomes more and more habitual. It's a habit and it becomes harder and harder to cut out of your life. What was a season of just a couple of weeks becomes months and years and decades. And for many, it becomes a lifetime. Don't use 
your journey to justify the presence of sin in your life. Use your journey as an encouragement to become all that God created you to be. See, every day the devil can have you procrastinate addressing sin is a day that he holds you down from proper, complete freedom. Accepting sin just for a season is a lie of the enemy. Now, I need to clarify this. You might be dealing with cutting out sin, and it's taking some time. You are in a journey of cutting out sin. That's different. You haven't settled there and accepted that it's part of your life. You're fighting it. Your your prayer, Bible study, you're seeking accountability. You're taking it before God. You're actually doing something. It's okay. It's going to take you time. God's got grace for you in your journey. But if you just set up camp and go, hey, it is what it is. It's part of my journey then that's a lie of the enemy that's robbing you of God's freedom in your life. The second lie he'll try to plant in your mind and your heart is this. He'll say, you won't ever live righteously enough, so it's not worth trying. He'll go on and say, you've tried before, but it didn't work, did it? You gave it your very best shot, but you failed, didn't you? It's not even worth giving a go. And the, problem, the common problem with trying to tackle sin and take it out of our life is it can just feel too big. It just feels like it's all too much and we don't know where to start. And once upon a time, there was an old man who liked to go down to the ocean to do his writing. And he made a habit of walking along the beach each morning before he began his work. Well, early one morning, after walking along the shore, after a big storm had passed through, he noticed that in both directions, scattering the beach were thousands and thousands and thousands of starfish. Off in the distance, he saw a little boy walking towards his direction. He was quite far out, but he noticed as he got closer that the little boy was bending down, picking up an item and throwing it into the ocean. Well, as he got close enough, the older man yelled out to the young boy and he said, Good morning, may I ask what it is that you're doing? And the young boy paused, looked up and replied, I'm throwing starfish into the ocean. The tide was washed up, has washed them up onto the beach and they can't return to the sea by themselves. The boy replied, when the sun gets high, they will die unless they throw them into the water. Well, the old man replied, but there must be tens of thousands of starfish. I'm afraid you won't make much difference. Well, the little boy bent down, he picked up another starfish, he threw it as far as he could into the ocean, and then he turned and looked at the man and he smiled and he said, it made a difference to that one. Every step that you take towards righteousness and cutting sin out of your life is a step towards intimacy with God. Not only does it draw you nearer to God, but it releases you to be more effective in making a difference in the lives of others. The two things the enemy doesn't want you to have, to know God and to make a difference for righteousness. Don't despise small beginnings. You've heard the saying, there's only one way to eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. And the enemy would love for you to believe that the mountain is too high, the valley is too dark, but God calls you to be an overcomer and you absolutely can do this. And the best part is that he empowers you to do it and he enters into the journey with you. The third lie that the enemy might try to sow into your mind and heart is this. As long as it's not the really bad stuff, you're fine. Isn't it interesting that when you speak to anyone that's engaged in any form of questionable behavior, they fall into the habit of comparison for justification, right? Like someone's a bit dishonest in their business transactions, like, yeah, but at least I'm not unfaithful to my wife. And then someone who's unfaithful to their wife is like, yeah, but at least I'm like not like a druggie, you know? And then someone involved in drugs is like, yeah, but I'm, I'm not out there killing anyone. Allow yourself to notice your own red flags. I'm not implying in the slightest way that we could all be living perfect lives, but when you find yourself justifying sin, 
You're believing the lie of the enemy. Don't let the fact that there is something worse out there, because there's almost certainly always something worse out there. Don't let that distract you away from addressing the sin that you find in your own life. Now, there are diff- different, definitely different worldly consequences for the different types of sin, right? You know that. You seriously hurt or kill someone, straight to jail. You steal a lollipop from a dairy, not much. Slap on the wrist, maybe a minor charge. You download something illegally, can feel like you got away with it, but you've worn the edge of your conscience and you've dulled your ability to feel and sense the conviction of God. You know, imagine all the obstacles someone would have to face walking from New York City to San Francisco. Now, if you don't know American geography, New York City, very far right. San Francisco, very far left, very far in between. That is a very big walk. I don't know the kilometers or the miles. You get the picture. It's massive. Well, one man who actually did this, who accomplished this rare achievement, mentioned a rather surprising difficulty when asked of his biggest hurdle. He said the toughest part of the trip wasn't traversing the steep slopes of the mountains or crossing hot, dry, barren stretches of desert. Instead, he said, the thing that came the closest to defeating me was the sand in my shoes. The sand in my shoes. Because the first few steps are like, ah, just a bit of sand in my shoes. But I imagine as the kilometers got on and on and on, that seemingly small thing ate away and ate away and ate away and to the point where it almost caused him to stop. You know, even the small stuff, the sand in our shoes, causes us to walk differently. And it causes for a much more unpleasant journey ahead of us. And you might be like, ah, Frosty, I came to be encouraged. (laughs) Don't nitpick, like it's just a few swear words here and there, it's just a couple of downloads, it's just a few cash jobs, you know, to avoid a bit of tax, it's just, it's just, it's justified, right? Well, let's go back to Romans 6, do not let sin control the way that you live, do not give in to sinful desires, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin, instead, give yourself completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. The enemy will say, it's just for now, it's too hard to get rid of anyway, and it's not even that bad. Uh, Alger, you can join me on keys. You know, the reason that Jesus was willing to go to a cross to take upon himself that penalty of sin was because a very powerful enemy needed an even more powerful response. Sin is very, very serious. And yet God is very, very good. Sin is so serious that Jesus suggests metaphorically cutting off your hands and gouging out your eyes if it would mean getting rid of sin. It's so serious because it's in direct conflict for the very purpose for which God wove you together, that you would know God and be transformed to live a righteous life. It's from that place that He uses you to do even more than you might ask, think, or imagine. Now, even though God forgives us and His grace allows us to have right standing with Him, Sin in our life still corrupts our character and defiles the quality of our life. Just because I could get into that sterling sports event didn't mean that I became a fashion icon. Just because we've been forgiven of our sin doesn't by default remove sin from our life. It removes the eternal punishment. Praise God for that. Praise God that by His grace, we get access to Him, we get access to heaven a place where there's no weeping, there's no pain, there's no mourning, that's phenomenal. But if we're still actually sinning, it's still present and it's still destructive in our life. 
Justification gives us right standing with God, but sanctification requires us to transform the way that we're living and it affects our experience of life. And it's a way that we honour God with this brand new life that we've been given. Because you might think, and you may have been in church many years, or maybe it's your first time, and you might sit here thinking, and I can sit in church and I can understand that I'm forgiven by the grace of God and yet I still feel heavy. I still feel burdened. I still feel unworthy and tired. Perhaps it's because you haven't actually cut sin out of your life. Perhaps you've made the mistake of thinking that freedom and righteousness are reserved for heaven. Perhaps you've just set up camp and justification, but you sense the Spirit of God calling you today to repentance and action, to bring it before God and to make some decisions. Because I'm not here to add weight and I'm not here to be negative, but it's vitally important that you understand that you can and should cut sin out of your life and that God wants to enter into that battle with you to help you do it. And while you're doing it, He has grace for you in your journey. The good news of the gospel is that there is hope, there is restoration and freedom for you today by the grace of God. Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman told of a distinguished minister, Dr. Howard from Australia, who preached very strongly on the subject of sin. Well, after he preached one Sunday after the service, one of the church officers came to counsel with him in the study. Dr. Howard, he said, we don't want you to talk so openly as you do about man's guilt and corruption, because if our boys and girls hear you discussing that subject, they will more easily become sinners. Call it a mistake if you will, but do not speak so plainly about sin. Well, the minister took down a small bottle and showing it to the visitor, he said, you see that label? That label says strike nine and underneath in bold red letters, the word poison. He says, do you know what you're asking me to do? He says, you're suggesting that I change the label. Suppose I do and paste over the words essence of peppermint. Don't you see what might happen? Someone would see it not knowing the danger involved and would certainly die. So it is too with the matter of sin. The milder you make the label, the more dangerous you make the poison. Sin is like poison in our life. And until we understand the enormity of the destruction of sin, we won't fully appreciate the enormity of His grace. It's like the more you realize and and come to terms with the fact that sin is bad, the more you realize how good God's grace is. Romans 5.20 says, Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And when we highlight and bring to light sin in our life, the more aware we become of His saving grace. You know, just when you thought sin would keep you dead, dull your flame, darken your heart, blind your eyes, close your ears, corrupt your character, spoil your relationships, and cut short your, your potential, God's grace abounds even more. There are two freedoms. One is given. The other is walked. One invites worship. The other invites obedience. And both result in you knowing God, finding freedom, discovering purpose and making a difference. You know, the most important first step for anyone to become the sort of person that would cut sin out of their life is to bring it before God in repentance. Proverbs 28, 13. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will have mercy. Sorry, yeah, they'll receive mercy. Acts 3, 19 to 20. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Now for some here today, your next step is to receive that free gift of salvation. 
This is God offering to forgive you of your sin. He's inviting you into relationship and to give you right standing before God. You get access to God in heaven, but not because of who you are, but because of who you're with. You become justified. And for others in the room, you stand currently justified before God, and yet you need to commit yourself to once and for all to actually get practical in removing sin from your life. Remember what that study showed about cutting sin out of your life? Prayer, choosing to stay clear of compromising situations, Bible study, and having someone to be accountable to. For all of us, it's time to repent. To come before God and ask for His grace as we take this next step in His journey. Final thing I'll say is this, what does repentance look like? Well, David, King David in the Bible sinned. And after having relations with Bathsheba, another woman's wife, he realized just how destructive his action was and he came before God. He said this in Psalm 51. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion, it haunts me day and night. But then he prayed this prayer. And perhaps this could be our prayer today. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. I want to invite everyone just to close their eyes right where they are. I'm going to pray two prayers, both extremely significant. For some, your next step is to receive the free gift of salvation. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. This is God's grace. It's His love towards you. It's not because you learned the Bible. It's not because you did the right things. It's not even because you turned up to church. But the Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's standard. But also that He is righteous and just to forgive us of our sin if we come to Him. And I want to lead you in a prayer today. And if you want to receive forgiveness for your sin, to be justified, to have right standing before God and access to heaven, then I want to invite you to pray this prayer. But you've got to know that with this also comes that second part, that He's going to journey with you to become sanctified and to be changed and transformed over time. If you're willing to say yes to both of thing, those things, then this is a prayer for you to pray. I'll pray it out loud. You pray it in your heart. Say, Dear God, acknowledge that I've sinned. The sin not only separates me from you, Lord, but it corrupts my experience of life here in this world. But I choose right now to turn to you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And with the faith that I've got today, I believe you sent your son Jesus to a cross to take that punishment upon himself so that I could walk free today. I thank you, Lord, that you would do that for me. Even in my brokenness, you welcome me in as I am. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I ask you to come into my life as my Lord and as my Savior. I commit my whole life to you right now, holding nothing back. So I want to just pray one final prayer. And it's just for anyone here today. And I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand on this one. You know in your heart what's going on. And this is just going to be a moment of repentance. To bring that thing or those things before God and say, God, I know it's sin. I know it's not honoring of you. I know it's against how you instruct us in the Word. And my first step is just to say, God, I'm asking for your forgiveness. And I need you to know that if you come before God like that, He is just to forgive you of your sin. He will do it if you do that with a genuine heart. And at that point, the penalty has been removed and now you must take steps to remove that sin from your life. If that's you, just pray this prayer in your heart as I lead you in it. Say, God, 
I thank You for Your grace and Your forgiveness. I choose to repent of my sin right now. God, I know it's hard and it's sort of taken me captive and it's been present in my life, but I believe that ridding this thing of my life is good for my future. And God, I ask You to forgive me of the penalty, but I also ask You, Holy Spirit, to empower me to take the steps I need to take that I may no longer fall and be a slave to sin. God, I thank You that You give me power to not be a slave to sin, but be a slave to You, to worship You with my life, to commit my life to You. And I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that any power over any sin, over any person that might be praying that prayer today would be broken in the name of Jesus, that freedom would come to their life, that clarity would come to their life and closer intimacy would be the result of this decision that they've made. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.